How's it going, Eli? Uh, I'm living the dream. How about you? <laughs> Doing well. I just got home from a yoga class, but this is uh, EricSwanRacing.com podcast. I believe it's in the high 70s, maybe number 80. I lost track of the numbers. I still got a few in the queue. I got to edit and publish, but uh, welcome. Thanks for coming on here, Eli Block, and uh, just want to get your story. You know, it was funny. I went down to Daytona for uh, being a race official track marshal for this past ARMA weekend. And uh, I was just telling some of the other workers about, uh, you know, who I've talked to recently. And, the, and I said, oh, who do you think I should talk to next? And they said, your name. And I'm like, guess what? He's already on the schedule. I'm talking to him Saturday. Oh, definitely. That was Lisa and Ken. 100%. It was. That was Lisa and Ken. Yep. Those guys are the B crew up from New Hampshire where uh, my home track is up at Loudon. So those guys are the, those guys are the best. Angry Bee Patrol, they call themselves, right? Yep. Because you all sound like buzzing bees going around the racetrack, and they're just we're just patrolling them all. <laughs> oh yeah. But uh, but you've been uh, racing for many years, professional motorcycle racer, and you said you're like in New Hampshire area. Yeah, so I'm uh, from Connecticut. Uh, home track is Loud, New Hampshire. So I've been doing this for this is going on to my fourth year right now. So a little bit of a late start, but um, I raced go karts for seven years and. My dad's been doing this for a long time, so he got me into it four years ago, and something clicked, and I just went with it. Heck yeah! Well, I got to pick your brain on the go karting stuff because I know a little—I know a lot about the motorcycle side of it, but I'm just kind of getting into the go kart side. Uh, I've raced at the local tracks, you know, around your house. The, uh, but there's one two miles from my house that actually has timing and scoring, so it feels like it's a little bit above the standard like putt putt uh, and go kart place, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's how it started with like some of the local stuff and um over time i got better and i got offered by some of the national karting teams to be on their teams going to the national events and i tested for one of the teams and i just didn't like i it was just too much pressure didn't enjoy it it was not what i thought and at that moment i knew i had to find something else and that's when my dad came up to me and said hey you got to try this because i worked for the penguin road racing school up in New Hampshire and uh, I was just doing like, I was working the gate for them. And like one weekend I was just super bored. And my dad's like, dude, we have to just get you on the track if you're this bored. And that next weekend I went out there and loved it. Yeah, never looked back. Yeah, never looked back from that moment. And uh, now you've been getting into uh, road racing, you said for the last couple of years, four years or so, and uh, yeah. junior cup rider. Yep. So how's that been uh, treating you lately? So from going, starting off on a Motard Supermoto um, up at road racing tracks, I've never, like, people look at my Instagram and they'll see me on a Supermoto bike and I actually don't do Supermoto. I ride them at road racing tracks. So from going from that and starting, I started riding a 400, like a street bike two years ago. I started at the start of the 2020 season or end of 2019, started of 20. And, um, it took me, I, I kind of premature, uh, prematurely went into junior cup, kind of thinking that I was going to do okay. Uh, it's not like I was horrible, but obviously my ex expectations were a little bit high, got humbled, but um, definitely started learning as the year went on. And uh, this year, definitely had a good few performances, got a top five at Jersey. And um, it's different. It's nice being able to race with people competitively on the same exact bike instead of having to on my 450 up at Loudon after races 600 classes to be just somewhat competitive 
Yeah, and um, so you're doing like super motar, not dirt, just uh, pavement? Yep, just pavement. Um, you know, a buddy of mine, Jeff O'Berry, he's doing the Supermoto East Coast, um, and they probably go all around to that area near you too. Yep, all um, around us. That's, that stuff is uh, kind of getting bigger nowadays. It, it didn't used to be so big. Now they have like coverage and they have film and everything. Yeah, the, the reassert, uh, re, pretty much just Supermoto's being born again. I mean, back when pro Supercross racers like Chad Reed, Travis Pastrana, all these guys were getting into it and doing it for fun. That's kind of when it was at its peak and it kind of faded off. I mean, the whole entire racing uh, racing just faded off a little bit, in my opinion, for motorcycle racing. And then it was resur uh, resurgent. Resurgent? I don't know. I don't know the word for that one. Resurgent. But, um, you got it. Yeah, resurgence. There we go. Uh, yeah, so I think it just started coming back over the last few years. It's starting to get bigger. There's a few big sponsors that are coming into our series and recognizing that racing still is a thing. It's starting to – there's still a fan base for it. Yeah. And uh, do you think there will be – scooter racing like there is in other countries like taiwan china there's tons of scooter racing going on it seems like yeah i think that's kind of a, a low budget way to get people into it maybe maybe kids or adults yeah i mean there's there's up in our area we have mini gp i know down in florida they have S, uh, south florida mini gp also and um that's that's how we've kind of been getting kids into it lately uh i've been coaching for mini gp for the last year and a half two years it's a great program, amazing coaches, amazing three-day camps are where you want to go start at. It's, um, you get awesome drills, awesome coaching, a lot of seat time, and it's pretty affordable for that. I mean, scooter racing, I don't know a lot about. It. I've had to race a lot of scooter racers when they come over to, from the Dominican to America, uh, when we're racing 150Rs during yeah. the SMEC weekends, so it's asphalt only, and I mean, those guys are, they, it's a whole different riding style. So you don't really, if you're trying to become a road racer, scooter racing probably isn't the greatest way to start. Uh, but, you know, if it works for you, it works for you. Yeah, I've never raced a scooter, but I started on a scooter. I had, my dad had a 250, it was a Kimeco People yeah. 250. Um, so not a race bike by any means, but uh, it was high wheel eagle, you know, about like 87 miles an hour, pretty fast for a scooter. Um, oh, yeah. and you know, those are super easy for people to learn because there's no shifting. It's just the handbrake okay. and, and rear front and rear brake. Um, and no, no clutch, just a CBT. Um, but now, you know, being on a motorcycle for, for so many years, uh, shifting just becomes a natural thing. People get scared about, Oh, I don't know how to shift. Well, it's not that difficult once you learn how, okay. and, uh, it's actually helpful for like down for, for using engine braking into the corners or just having a range of your speed for each corner. Like I know every single gear or every single corner on a track, I know by gear, right? It's, it's yep. usually a set number. It doesn't change too often unless you get faster. Um, so that's an easy way to make sure you're going to make the corner, just stay in the right gear. Exactly. But, uh, electric bikes don't have gears. It's back to like the CBT type of feel. Yeah. That and the two strokes. I was just talking to someone about this and they want me to ride a TZ 250 up at Loudon because um i i think if i got used to it i think i could be battling for wins and maybe even winning the 600 classes up there on this and i know it's possible because jeff wood used to do it and i mean i bet i could do it it just take time to learn that there's no engine braking it's just yeah. <laughs> once you let go and get on the brakes 
it's just you're on the clutch pretty much. There's no engine braking at all. Yeah, just a very different feel. You got to just drive it differently or ride it differently. Um, I got one of those uh, race simulators in my living room um, for playing the car games. Um, mostly the Assetto Corsa Competizione I've been playing. It's the new esports game that they're using uh, for like GT3, GT4. And it's amazing going from car to car, like the Lexus to the Mercedes, how much different the cars actually handle. And uh, like I'm always spinning out the Mercedes on downshifting because it's just so uh, unstable. So you have to wait a long time to get your downshift in. So you're not really getting the engine braking, but the car doesn't spin out. So it's like you just got to drive everything a little bit differently to get the most out of it. Yeah, I definitely see that in iRacing. I play a ton of iRacing. And it's just like, as you were saying, like for me, it's the difference between the Audi and the Mercedes. It's the same exact thing. Yeah. Um, but everything has their own characteristics. The bikes do. Uh, you know, I don't have the iRacing yet, but that's on my list as like the number one game to get because you can buy whatever track you want. Like you're probably practicing the tracks you go to, right? Yeah, I do. I mean, like, between ride four and whatever game I, there is, no matter if there's a track that I'm going to be racing and no matter what game it's on, I'll buy that game Yeah. because it's going to save me. I mean, it's not the same exact feeling, but you get a feel for it. I mean, especially with iRacing for Loudon, there's like a, my, there's a bump and turn 10. It's you'll hit it, but you'll know when you're coming into it. It's the same exact feeling. It's the same exact line. It's literally the same exact view. It's yeah. like you're not surprised when you see it. And that's such uh, valuable information to have, just already having grained in your brain. I mean, you see these world champions uh, just picking up a track and learn it in a, in a half a second, but there's got to be some strategy behind them too. They're, they got to be doing some sort of training. Uh, from what I've heard, Ben Spees during his um, first year over World Superbike, or I think it was MotoGP, when he was getting all these poles, being in these tracks for the first time, he would play these tracks on video games. He yeah. would learn this track by going and spinning laps on a video game. And then with his talent and everything that he knows goes out there and sets poles. Yeah. Like it's insane. <laughs> it's like back then, obviously it wasn't as realistic, but if people do with now how realistic everything is, it's, there's no excuse. There's just like, <laughs> you should know the track before you get there unless there's no way of seeing it. Yeah. Or you can watch video on YouTube or, you know, even uh, forums talk about different tracks, like uh, wear a message board or uh, sport bike track time has a good message board, good forum. Um, so where can people find you online? Are you out there uh, making videos? Are you on Instagram? So Instagram, it's Eli Block underscore. That's just where I mainly post all my stuff. Um, I've done a few things on Facebook where it's, uh, it's, it's weird. They didn't accept my last name on Facebook. So I did know Eli Colby, which is my middle name. And yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've made a few videos. I kind of, so I work for a few track days. I work for Penguin Rotation School, Evolve GT track days. Uh, I work for, I'll be helping with Tony's track days this year, okay. uh, throughout the year. And I'll do main GP stuff when I get a chance. Um, it's just whatever I can do to help. I mean, I have a kid that lives 20 minutes from my house. That's a main GP racer. And I'll drive down to his house, pick him up uh, like two times a week during the summer, and we'll just go out to a parking lot and do cone drills. Yeah. So whatever we can do. And it's awesome because when I'm helping him, I'm also helping myself because I can go out there and I'm refreshing my skills. I'll go out there, I'll demonstrate stuff. And then it turns out where 
he's doing 20 minutes on the bike. I'm doing 20 minutes on the bike. We're just going back and forth doing drills. Yeah. And that's such a good workout, you know, being on the bike and getting those, those muscles worked out is usually some, usually better than being in the gym and just working out. I mean, you need both of it. Right. But, um, the on the bike fitness is probably more important. Oh yeah. Gym, <laughs> the gym's a foreign word to me. Um, it, I mean, I'm lately I've been doing the gym stuff. I mean, I just came back from an injury. So, uh, about two months ago, I had a pretty big crash doing moto. Um, just hurt, hurt my shoulder again. So I've been having bad luck with my shoulder and wrist and ankle over the last few years, but, um, hopefully this year will be good. So I just got back. I'm starting to strengthen myself up. I'm the assistant track and field coach in my old high school okay. and, uh, on top of all my other jobs, but that's been helping me get back into, into, into the gym. So these kids have been working out every single day and well, I don't want to be down there just watching them. I have to get out there and start doing benching, squats, deadlifts, all this other stuff, getting myself back in somewhat shape. Yeah. And you got to show them how to do it too. So you got to like lead the way, right? Yeah. Well, these kids are showing me, these kids are out squatting me, out benching me every single day. Yeah. Um, these kids are insane. I bet they're putting up a lot of weight. Yeah. We got, I mean, the only thing I can do is a calf press more than them. I, was, we, I can calf press 360, but that's about it. But these kids are out benching two, threes. We got a kid that's um, that just graduated last year that was benching or squatting 600. Oh, wow. So it's funny. We have a bar downstairs. If you walk in and we have the freshmen that walk in every year and we'll show them our gym and then they'll see this one squat rack and there's a bar that's bent in half. <laughs> we're like yep that's that's what we want you to end the school or your four years here with that'd be uh pretty incredible yeah yeah um so uh tell me about your plans uh for this coming season for racing what do you got going on you're doing a full season of uh the junior cup again so i wish um so i kind of i've been doing select rounds every year and coming into this year me and my I've just turned 19 in September and going on to 20 this year. So my dad decided it was kind of best if I started learning how to do everything by myself. And, um, so it's kind of, I'm financially supporting myself. So they're still helping me a little bit. They helped me a lot during the winter, getting my bikes prepared. They're still having me pay for some things. And once we hit race season, everything that is not really covered by uh, sponsorship by me is all on me traveling by myself racing all by myself i sold both of my 400s um so right now i just have a my supermoto and i have my dirt bike my 250 and i'm just gonna be kind of floating around i'm gonna do a full loud series uh as many woods racing and moto races i can do because i love doing that um i have talked to a few moto america teams about just filling rides if i just keeping my name out there making sure that if anything does happen, then I'm always there. So maybe I don't hope that on anyone that they get hurt and I have to come fill in, but if anything does happen, I would be so grateful just to be out there. I mean, yeah. um, Michael Hill has been helping me a ton over the off season, kind of getting myself set, getting my name out there, keeping myself relevant. And um, yeah, it's trying to get myself set for 2022. I've been doing a lot of ice riding lately. I'm um, going out, maybe later today, even tomorrow, there's a pond like 30 minutes from my house that we just have um, a whole bunch of road racers from my area come out and we just spin laps and try not battling because if they, 
we battle, we know someone's going to get hurt. But right. just out there trying to do motos and getting myself back on a bike. Yeah. And uh, it, it's pretty cool to have a second set of tires that you can put like a million screws through that uh, gives you all that grip. Oh, yeah. I mean, for this year, I, I, I didn't even bother with it. I just I have a guy, um, Casey. Casey Constant from uh, up in New Hampshire. He's uh, the tire guy up in our area. And um, he has a guy go up to wherever, pick up tires. And I got a set of Canadians for this year that are just amazing. And um, yeah, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I have, I'm kind of lazy. And uh, so I kind of have like four different sets of rims. So I have one with my moto tires on it, one with my ice tires, because those things, once you put them on, they ain't coming off. Yeah, right. Every time they're coming off is when you're just throwing them away. So I have those, and I have my stud tires uh, for woods uh, riding in the winter. So kind of, um, it's awesome having the accessibility to, oh, man, what do I want to do this weekend? Oh, I can go travel down, go ride with Gus Rodeo down in uh, New Jersey, do some moto. Yeah. Or if I am just want to go ride in the woods, if it's ice, I can just throw my studs on. It's awesome having those, uh, assess like those, just that option where I can, choose and pick whatever I want to do depending on the day yeah you know I only had one other uh rear rim at, at one point so I was always using like I always had to change the tires every time you want a new tire on you don't have any secondary it'd be great to have uh, multiple sets so you can just swap them on even if you're changing the same same compound and you're from Michigan I'm guessing yep correct? I'm in Michigan just north of Detroit Sterling Heights so those I've heard that's huge up in your guys area uh they have a lot of professional ice racing. Those guys are insane up there. Yeah, you know, uh, I think it's Ben Lowe. Um, he's a flat track guy, AFT, and he's uh, not too far from me. I think he does that uh, quite a bit. Um, yeah, so, yeah, a lot of the flat track guys do it. Uh, you got to really bundle up for that. I, have, uh, I haven't been out to one yet, but uh, normally it's, it's right now it's like 12 degrees outside. And when you're going yeah, 60 miles an hour, it's going to be like negative 30. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, oh, it just changed to 10 degrees here. It was just nine. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm used to it kind of now. Um, it's funny. I'll, I'll talk to my friends that are out down south and they're like, oh, it's freezing here. It's 50 degrees. <laughs> and I walk outside and I'm in a t-shirt. It's 20 degrees out. It's beautiful out. Yeah. But when I'm ice riding, I'll kind of have, I'll have like my under layer on. I'll have moto pants and I'll have like, an underlayer sweatshirt and jacket and that's about it it's not really not too bundle up because i want to keep my mobility especially because i have limited right now so i kind of can't sacrifice everything so maybe once i get a little more mobility back i'll put on one more layer keep myself warm is but that uh, you, you kind of warm up as you go so you don't need too much yeah i couldn't last week when i was riding i couldn't even feel my toes and i was trying to figure out why i couldn't and then i rode for like 30 minutes i was like oh i can feel myself now <laughs> yeah it's funny you warm up as you go which is funny it should be the opposite you're going 60 70 miles per hour in freezing wind and you're like oh it should be frozen right now but now as long as all up. your yeah as long as all your skin's covered i guess it'd be all right yeah but uh yeah it sounds like a lot of fun and it's just uh you out there with your buddies do you got to measure like uh, how deep it is before you go in go on the top yeah so i'm not really i'm kind of newer to it um I'm not, it's, uh, I go, I go okay on the ice. I mean, I've only done it about three, four times now, but to compare to some other people who are pretty good, but I'm newer to it. So Casey, like I'll have Casey go out there. They have, he's been doing this for years on years on years, just 
going out there. He's got his own equipment of drilling into the ponds, making sure it's deep enough. I kind of just do the uh, good old, oh, if they rode like two days ago, I think I should be fine. It didn't really get that warm. So yeah, that's how, that's what I'm hoping for tomorrow. I think it'll be good. I mean, if I see people with cars on the ice, I think I could ride. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, there was a time I went up to my aunt's cottage area and they live on a lake and uh, we brought our ice skates, you know, played pond hockey on the, on the ice. That's a lot of fun. Um, skate around the entire lake. Like uh, you don't realize there's, like snow drifts and the ice is not all even the whole way, even though it's like you think it freeze even, but it, it doesn't. Yeah, you can go be in one spot and then three feet or, uh, over, it's two inches thicker. Yeah. So that's crazy. <laughs> changes all the time. It's like a motocross track, right? It's always changing. Always changing, no matter what. That's the one thing about road racing that's awesome. You go through a corner, next lap. I hope it would be the same. It's probably <laughs> going to be the same unless there's right. something down. Unless there's like an animal crossing. I remember, I think it was one time I saw a turtle like on, at the side of the track in the grass. And then I saw him the next lap, he was on the curbing. Next lap, he was on the middle of the track. And the next lap, he was completely gone. I was like, oh, he, that was, <laughs> there's no hitting. Yeah, he made it to the end. Something hit him or something happened. I've had a few, I've had a few run-ins with squirrels up at Loud. Yeah, I had a run in. Uh, it was funny. We had a practice day or one of our practice, Friday practices, and I had a run in with a squirrel in turn seven. Just uh, I didn't want to kick it, but I kicked it. Yeah. And um, yeah, we had a red flag the whole entire session. Everyone's freaking out. Like, why do we have to read? Why are we red flagging this is a waste? And I'm like, no, someone kicked a squirrel in turn seven. <laughs> it's wildlife. Oops, didn't mean to. Yeah. Um, it'd be nice if they had like some sort of barrier but how do you you have to spend so much money to make a, a, a animal proof barrier it's almost impossible i'd much rather have more air fence than an animal barrier yeah um because unless it's like a deer it's not going to cause that much damage yeah those guys are um i was talking to my dad about that a few days i think it was yesterday we were talking about how crazy the isle man the car rally guys are like dude like if you hit an animal it's like a size of a sheep because the sheep are known to be on the track at Isle Man. If you hit that going 100 miles per hour plus, you're done. There's just there's no way you're making out of that. You're going for a ride, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh I feel like I would love to go to Isle of Man and ride it, but not race it at 100% until I could prove that I could do an entire season without crashing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> And it's insane. I've said that multiple times. I would love to go ride the track, but to go race it, it almost, I feel like it almost just ruin it because it, it would probably be enjoyable riding it, having fun, but racing at that speed, is just insane. You just have to be so cautious and so like reserved. You, um, you might be losing out on time, but you're like, you made the corner, right? So that's that's still yeah. fine. It's a different type of race, uh, or think yeah. something like Pikes Peak, even. Yeah, that's 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 insane. That Pikes Peak is. I think I heard something about they're canceling it or something. They're trying to like stop it because how many injuries there have been lately. I know the. I think it was the Ducati rider or the Ducati test rider passed away a year or two ago, doing that on the new like uh, I think it was the VS VR V. V4S or like the new uh, uh, Street Fighter? The V4R? 
yeah they were doing the new street fighter that they just came out there i think they were testing with it and he crashed and passed away on it and you know it was just crazy because you never think even people with that much talent like you can't think that anything will ever happen to them but mistakes happen you lose second you lose focus for half a second and boom you're down and there's such a difference in like oxygen level and temperature change from the bottom to the top so like you you might be hit a, a small damp patch or something lock up your front and just this tiny mistake causes catastrophic error yeah exactly but uh yeah there's no just just no margin for error in that in that kind of stuff um you have to be uh, perfect you i found that out this year i was like up at loud and i don't know how much you know about loud but um over the years on the supermodels it's like the best times on the 1000s are 110s up at loud and uh 600s have been like the 898 quote unquote back when they're allowed and well now they are allowed again but was back in the 10 nines uh supermodels were like in the 15 15s uh set by shane narbonne like 450s and, um yep the 450s so last year um there's only been five people to run or four four people last year to run 15s i became the fifth uh and then going on to this year i broke into the 14s and uh, I got down to a 14 too. And um, I'm pushing for the 13s this year. I know I can do it. Because uh, most of the 600s now are only like two of them are running 12s. Okay. And uh, only it's just like it's a gap from the 12s, maybe a 113 runner, 14s, 15s back. And um, on a bike like mine that makes maybe 60 horsepower on MR12 compared to these guys with 120, the amount of I'm pushing to a limit where there's no room for error. And um, we were talking about that. It was just, I started, I had um, one of the races, the last race of the year for the Dash for Cash, which is the big race allowed for every weekend. It's a 600 race. That's like a $1,500 cash payout. For first uh, place? Over the, top, uh, for over the top eight. So 500 okay. for a winner. Not bad. So, um, yeah, not too bad. So, I was passing for second place and um, it's just, I had one, I was off my line by half a foot and my front went. Ah. So it's just, you can't, it's crazy. At, like we're, how we're talking about that. You can't lose focus. And then one small mistake causes everything to go wrong. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned air fences earlier. Um, I don't know if you know my history, but uh, I, uh, in 2015, I was on a brand new bike. I got a new Triumph uh, 675R, uh, full race ready. And there had been a brand new tire compound out that weekend. Uh, they went from the Cup ABC compound Michelin's to a um, to a one compound tire that did it all instead of having three. Um, and so it was just new to me. And uh, so the combination of a new tire, new bike, and I'm trying to go faster, you know, of course, I just high sided myself. And uh, high side wasn't so bad, but the fact that I was heading straight towards a guardrail at about 120 was not good. So uh, broke seven bones and, and all that. There was no padding. There was just like maybe a one or two inch piece of half-ass foam in front of the guardrail. That's not really a barrier of, of any kind. So um, that was a nasty one. Uh, if there was an air fence there, who knows? I could have just maybe gotten bruised and walked away, but 
uh, two weeks in the hospital and all that stuff later, uh, kind of took me out of the sport for a few years. So uh, I can't wait to yeah. get into road racing, but financially at the time it, it took me out. So um, those air fences, although they are expensive, would have been uh, way cheaper than that one uh, medical bill for all that stuff. Yeah, um, Eric Wood is a big fan of all that um, safety stuff. He's a, our safety director up at Loudoun and uh, all the runner of the Penguin Rosie School. And he's a very strong uh, believer in air fence. And we are covered, let me think of, uh, we're almost covered in most of the corners up at Loudoun now in all air fence. And I've had a few good run-ins with the air fence. Um, it's your friend at times and it's not. I I'm mean, sure it doesn't feel like, good, but it's better than hitting some stationary. Yeah, even like during that last round at Loudon, I didn't even hit the air fence. My bike got stuck under it though. So yeah, that's where it's only, it, it's hard to get your bike out and throw under it. <laughs> yeah. But most of the times if you crash, you ain't getting your bike up. But that's the one beautiful thing about the supermotos. You crash it, $100 of damage. You're, I was able to pick it up and go faster by the end of the race. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. What is it about Supermoto that uh, there's no damage? Are they just built better? They're just built different, you know? They're just, um, they just, they're not, there's not many things like bearing, it could be just, I don't know, like if with my 400, if you sneezed wrong, <laughs> your whole entire frame was tweaked. I mean, luckily I didn't crash it too much. I think only over my two years of racing, I crashed like one, two, three, four, maybe like five six times i mean some weren't my fault some were i've had a, i had my first ever moto america weekend um, my friend gus took me out by accident yeah it's funny i mean we were really close before that and that kind of like that that was either a break or make or break <laughs> thing between us and that actually brought us we, we were still really close to that test our friendship and that's awesome it was funny i mean looking back and it was really funny but so um for people who don't know like uh it's all out of pocket. If you crash, you got to pay for your own stuff. If you crash into somebody else, you got to pay for your own stuff. You know, yep. uh, it's rare that somebody pays for your stuff unless it's like, I've never heard of that happening. No, we oh, have. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, unless it's like you're borrowing someone's bike and you crash their bike, uh, then you're paying for it unless they're paying for it themselves. But you know, it's um, it's all on you. There's, it's your fault. I mean. No insurance, no insurance claim you can make. You sign a waiver that's, that says if it's, if you crash, it's your own fault. You can't sue someone. You can't sue nobody. It's um, your doing. <laughs> and we all sign up for it and uh, agree to it. Um, but uh, there is sometimes, you know, banging bars, and that's all right. But we try not to knock each other down. Well, and it happens sometimes. I mean, not what I want to happen, but I've had a few run-ins where it's just like, I've I've tried not being an aggressive racer. I've been known to be a little bit aggressive when my visor goes down, but I wor actually worked on it a lot this year. I just I was very nice last year. I wasn't really urgent. I wasn't I wasn't willing to make a dive bomb or like not a dive bomb, but like something where I was questionable. I wanted to be calculated, but this year I worked on it a lot where it's just if you, I'm going into turn one and I see a pack of three people in front of me, I'm going to die bomb all three of them in turn three. And I, if I tell myself that, it's going to happen no matter what. Yeah. So um, it's, I worked on that this year and it worked yeah. out very well. I always like the uh, around the outside passes. Those are pretty satisfying. Yep. 
<laughs> always doing that and just looking over at them when you're going <laughs> and passing them. Or there'd be some there'd be some riders that like give you a thumbs up or wave at you as they go by. I'm like, screw you. Like, <laughs> yeah. Especially like when you're on the set, like in, during those races, I'm up at loud and I'm like, um, I'll race. So on my 450, I'll race up into the 600 classes. Um, on my 400, I'd race up into the lightweight, like 650, seven, like the 790 classes. And it's just like you'll pass them. You'll blow by him in the corner, and then they'll look go down the straightaway, uh, another fifty mile per hour faster, and you just, hey, <laughs> it's just it's so, it's like so much anger, you just so much rage fill, like fills you when someone just passes by you like you're standing still, and then you have to work even harder to get past them. Well, it's also satisfying when they got a, a, a faster bike and you're right with them, right? You're you can battle with them. Because there's, yep. it depends on what track you're at. If you're at a track with not a huge straightaway, you can you can battle with them. And I, when I was racing, I started racing uh, at stock 600. I had one bike, but I'd race in both 600 classes, both 750s, and both 1000s. So, yep. um, in the 1000 class, it's it's difficult to compete with you know 200 horsepower. You got maybe 120. Um, yeah, that's a big difference. It's like uh, 450 versus 600. <laughs> big difference. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, I did it for so I did my that the first time last year during the Loudon Classic, which is uh, I don't know if you know about it. It's the longest going road racing or road race in the country right now. How many years? And, um, like seventy years. This one's going to be the ninety ninth, I think, this year. Ninety nine. So, um, I did my actually. It might be the ninety eighth this year. Ninety eight, ninety nine. But I know I did the actually. Let me, 99 this year because last year was 98 there we go okay look at the trophy (laughs) and um yeah so i did my first ever 600 race in the dash for cash the loud classic so the 20 lapper and um i kind of uh talked to the shane narbonne who's the um eight seven eight time winner of it now and um i talked to him i was like what do you think because he was the most motard king back then i was like what do you think about me racing the dash like clown classic on it He's like, there's no hope. There's no hope at all. No way you're getting top eight. Uh, I came out first time ever doing it, got sixth place. And um, I did, didn't race it the rest of the year. And then last year I made the decision to pretty much chase the championship all year in the uh, 600 class. I missed a few rounds due to Moto America. And just, we went to Jersey for one of our rounds and there was no way I was going to be able to compete with 600s on a Motard Jersey. Yeah. So I uh, my best finish this year was I think fourth in the dash for cash, but um, yeah, it's definitely awesome to do it because it teaches you how to kind of be at a disadvantage, teaches you how to be aggressive. Uh, start is everything because they're gonna you you can out jump them, but about another twenty feet later they're gonna be blowing by you, so it teaches you how to just hold it into turn one. So it's just all about strategy. And I bet you have to be a little defensive sometimes, like at the end of straightaways, maybe take a, a, a tighter line so they're not going up the inside of you. Uh, at times, I mean, at Loudon. So usually my plan at Loudon is, because I most people, I, I'm not, I don't really care about me telling everyone my plans about what I do at Loudon, because most people have seen it by now. Uh, my goal is to usually get them by turn nine, which is re- really hard because there's 
straight away down to the bowl and it's kind of hard to get a 600 because you're pretty much the same speed through four to nine so you kind of have to be really close but um my if i can get them by nine i can hold them off into turn one and that starts the whole entire lap where i'll be able to hold them off and then pull a gap but if by the if i pass them a little bit later they're going to pass me on the straightaway so as long as i have an outside line on them going into turn one i should be fine but there's really i can't really play defense on a small bike like that yeah, if I'm as wide defense, as possible if i play any defense it's going to let them catch up to me and blow by blow by yeah. me on the straightaway yeah, so that's another point is if you are defensive, you're slower. If you just run your fastest line, um, they're going to have a hard time catching you. Yeah. In some, in some points, like like at Moto America, if you're defen uh, defensive, then it, you, it could work. I mean, you won't have to worry about them out-motoring you. I mean, these guys, it, it's a spec class in Moto America. I mean, you kind of can play around with a couple, two, three things, but – nothing huge but you can see people have dinos at their own shops they're testing out every single day me i didn't really have that i kind of me and my dad didn't really know much about 400s he's a motard guy a lot of people around the country send bikes to him because he's the motard guy so we kind of got we were just new to this and uh by the end of the year when i sold my bikes my dad finally figured out how to make them faster so Good luck to the people that bought my bikes. You have fast bikes now. Heck yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, it's all a tinkering game, but it's whoever can outride him. As If you can outride that person in front of you, then you should be able to, be able to go faster than them. Or just, you know, outbreak them just a little bit. Make sure you make the corner. You know, don't hit them. <laughs> yeah. Don't it's ruin awesome. your drive out of the corner. Yeah. That's all about your exits. Mm -hmm. but uh so what's on your mind uh, anything new in your life going on um i started a uh i live a very over the last few months i've become a very busy person i work um what, close to 40 plus hours a week now while going to college full-time so i go i work as a um special ed job coach which i've been doing special ed stuff or special like unified sports for the last three, four years now. So uh, I started this new job in about October where I um, work at a transition school. So kids with disabilities come out of high school and come to our academy and we just bring them to job sites, teach them how to live, like live in the real world, stuff that they should be really teaching in school, but yeah. they don't. Finances and how to cook a meal and things like that yep so we teach them all that stuff so i do that monday through thursday uh i work as an assistant track and field coach at my um old school or old high school that i graduated from two years ago so it's definitely um fills my days then uh, i go to college full-time and uh, i try riding as much as possible but you know i kind of have to weigh the maybe once month once a little bit in the summer i have the summer off to go ride but I still want to ride every weekend. That's the goal. For sure. Now, uh, you said you're not in the in the gym. You're not a gym rat too much. But uh, are you training with like uh, bicycles at all? Are you cycling a lot, or are you mostly on the the motorized bike? It's just, I mean, motorcycle usually. I mean, my I'll have, it's funny because I have kids that 
are racing where I race and their coach is telling them they are, they have personal workouts that they do. It's like, it's not like intensive, but these guys are all doing their workouts and I just have my riding strength from riding a bike. So they'll fade off in the 19 lap race and I'll be pushing through the whole entire time just because could be just natural strength or just, I have a lot of seat time. I ride a ton. I have a lot of, I do a motocross too. That also helps me a ton. So yeah. it kind of gets me a lot stronger in good shape. So probably that seat time is better than riding a bicycle because you're actually training for what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, mountain biking's awesome. Whenever I have time or it, I kind of used to do it a lot, but I don't really have too much time to do that anymore. So I, if I, I rather spend a weekend go riding ice than mountain biking. Now, are you uh, mostly going to tracks? Like, obviously, the ice is just a pond, but when you're going to ride your supermoto, are you going to parking lots or are you going to actual tracks or in uh, ORV trails? or? So when I do my supermoto, uh, I'll go to just car tracks. Um, I have the mini moto stuff that I'll do parking lot stuff with. For moto, uh, for um, motocross, I'll have, we have like a few loops around my area that we have a lot of the, um, pro GNCC racers, the woods racers that are training at. And uh, we have a gnarly crew that rides around here. Like top, like we have like the top, we had the last 450 and the 250 champion come out of our area. Oh yeah. So we have a gnarly crew that trains up here. Is there a good um, area for riding? Uh, a few, a few, like we have a few private training tracks up here that everyone just make and uh, just grew, like they turn more laps and it turns into a perfect track. So we have um, that. I mean, for moto, I try riding tracks as much as possible. I'll go down south to like Jersey and go ride. Just try doing as much as possible. Yeah. Um, are you excited for the uh, the new 600 class that's uh, being in uh, next generation 600 now? Um, yes and no. I've known about it for a while. Uh, I've known, I know a lot of people that are... Um, know a lot of things about what's coming up in the future and they told me about it going like at the start of this year and um it was definitely cool i mean i could see it over in europe with uh brandon racing his six seven five against all the other super sport guys talking about brandon and, um, posh and uh, bsb yep, yep and uh it's it's cool i mean i'm excited to see how it turns out to be because I've been hearing a lot about this under the new V2 and how nasty the thing is just stock. So I'm curious to see how it equals out to all these other bikes. But I've heard that like the 600s are allowed to do, like the Jixers are allowed to go to the 750s or the R6. Like it'll be cool to watch Josh Heron and Jake Gagne. So Gagne on that R6 compared to that V2 when they go to Daytona in a few, or a few months now. Yeah, um, it's going to be interesting. Um, it's a whole new class, so everybody's starting from scratch, and you never know what's going to happen. Are you allowed now to even race a stock 600, or do you have to have a built motor? I guess you probably would have a hard time qualifying if you didn't, right? Yeah, I haven't really looked into it, but I would imagine that you're allowed to race. I mean, you wouldn't be not allowed to race it, but it would be hard to be competitive on it. And now that... Uh, Moto America's taken over the 200. That's going to change some things. You know, it's going to 
be a little bit higher entry fee, I think, but um, they're still paying out like $175,000 between 40 positions. The top 40 get paid. Yeah, I was, um, I was talking to a few people about doing it and uh, I was uh, kind of offered a bike to do it, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see how everything plans out. And I might, I might be showing up to the 200 this year, but um, I don't know. I'm more excited to watch the Twins Cup this year. A lot of my, with, uh, uh, the Suzuki V650s and all those, Aprilia 660. Yeah, a lot of my friends are doing it this year. I got Gus doing a few of the rounds. I got um, my two close, what we used to call the MT Wallet team. Uh, <laughs> me, Ben Glotty, Teague Hobbs. So those two are going to be doing the Robum team, which I'm hyped to watch them race this year. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's going to be a really stacked class this year, I think. And I just saw Tegan Hobbs. He was at Daytona um, at the Arma event. Uh, he was just ripping. I think it was the 005 at that event. His yeah, he's, uh, he was testing that new bike, and he was telling me a lot about it. So it's different for him, but I think he'll be doing amazing this year on it. Yeah, him and Heron were just flying out there. Heron was like uh, 30 seconds in front of most people. His <laughs> But the corner worker next to me was saying, why is he going so fast? He's, he's already like 20 seconds ahead of it, the entire field. <laughs> yeah, he's got to test that new bike. It was really his – he's got to get as much testing done on that track because that's his first round this year. Yep. And he was doing like 51s consistent. Yeah, which is pretty good pace. Very first time on a new bike. And, uh, you know, I was watching a Daytona race from years ago with like Jake Lewis and – and all kinds of like Jason DeSalvo and Danny Eslick, and they were doing 51s like all race. So, I mean, it might have not been the fastest lap of the race, but it's consistent race pace, it looks like. Yeah, I think Brandon got, I think Brandon was dropping 49s, 40. In qualifying? Touched during 40 race. So, no, during the race, he dropped. Okay. Yeah. He was in the consistent 50s. I mean, I could pull up the results and look yeah. at what he was doing, but the, him and Sean were pushing a really fast pace. Yeah, and then uh, there's an incident with uh, Kyle Wyman, you know, getting past the uh, lap traffic, and um, who knows? You know, some people say he's playing possum to get a red flag. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a gray area, right? Are you hurt? And then run back to your pits after, you know, maybe he was dazed. I have, I can't say. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, but um, I really – I. I remember watching it and it was just a, he, I think he just lost, lost like all brain thought for a few seconds and just kind of didn't calculate it enough and just ran into the back of him. And um, I mean, if he was hurt, then, I mean, if you really are that hurt and you have to cause a red flag, then you probably shouldn't be back on a bike. I feel like I thought that was the rule that you, if you, cause I've caused a red flag before and I was not allowed to restart the race, but I don't know how it is in endurance racing. If the rule is different. Um, I don't remember, uh, but I feel like if you're, if you cause a red flag and you cost that, if you pass all the tests and just your bike's rideable, then I feel like you're able to go, but I think you have to start from the back of the pack. That seems fair. Or maybe start from pit lane or something. Yeah. Um, and uh, Daytona's, it's a very unique uh, track in that uh, you exit out of the pit lane for the first lap, right? You don't normally do that. And so that actually creates an extremely dangerous situation for corner workers 
because they have something called cone boys um, who are moving those cones after the grid go after the grid goes by they run out there and replace the cones for the next you know for the second lap well there have been times where they thought everybody re was released and one guy maybe stalled or he was still in the pits and hadn't gone yet um, and then they're released as the cone boys are now on the track and putting cones back and i'm like that's a super dangerous situation um so i don't know what the right solution is but uh i don't like the cone boys yeah i mean it should be pretty i mean it's pretty simple i feel like it should be pretty simple i mean they're not going through pit lane they're just they're starting at, in pit lane but they go straight onto the track instead of going through the pit exit but um i mean you have a minute 50 minute and 50 seconds right so i feel like you have enough time I think that's more, it's a dangerous job, obviously, but I feel like as long as you're aware and you're watching everything, you should be fine. But yeah, I can see how that's pretty dangerous. Yeah, if there's a late release you weren't expecting, that was the issue. They, they thought all the bikes yeah. were gone and then a, a late one, like, oh shit, it came like yeah. super close to them, freaked them out. But, uh, but yeah, I gotta stay safe. And um, it reminds me, you know, if anybody ever crashes, they seem, pissed off and they're not paying attention what i've seen from corner working lately is uh they completely forget about what's happening on the racetrack um and as a track marshal you have to always look at the racetrack even if you're pushing a bike or picking up something you have to keep your eyes up because if another bike comes flying at you you better be prepared um mm -hmm. and remember road atlanta when uh the aprilia let loose and yeah, uh he was walking away, not looking at the track, and he gets hit by another rider's body flying at him. I mean, they were both fine, but it could have been a bad incident. Yeah, and I'm surprised because Hayden has a lot of experience in just racing, and he's had a lot of years. And it's just a, it's in the moment. You're just, you're, you're so taken away that you don't even know what happened. Yeah, that you're just like so dazed, and you're like, oh my god, what just happened? How am I here? And you're like, ah, oh, whatever, I'll just walk away and you're not expecting that also it could be a fact that if you're going down you don't think anyone else is going to make turn one <laughs> yeah so probably should be watching behind you and uh some i've learned the corner workers are telling me uh the other uh experienced veterans are like it just because there's a yellow flag doesn't mean no one else is going to crash you know it doesn't that doesn't stop crashing if it did we'd put it ever up everywhere <laughs> you know exactly sometimes it causes more incidents because now you're not necessarily paying attention to what's going on in front of you you're like what's you know you're looking around like what's where's the incident mm -hmm. um exactly but yeah man uh i just love the sport trying to stay in it and uh just uh I, I like being at it so i was putting together a schedule for this year um with all the different rounds i can hit and there's like 45 different events i could possibly go to out of like 52 weeks you know let's <laughs> say so I don't know what I'm going to be doing exactly, but um, I'd like to start doing some MSF, uh, the Motorcycle Safety Foundation coaching. Okay. So I, that's what I took when I first got my motorcycle license, like beginner riders, um, teaching them how to use a clutch and like in classroom yeah. sessions, stuff like that. I think it'd be something cool to put on your resume. And uh, I mean, you, when, you're all, when you're teaching fundamentals, you learn yourself. So exactly. um, I'm just trying to be in the motorsports industry and make money doing stuff I like rather than working a job I don't. Exactly. Keep yourself in there and keep yourself pretty much like just keep going, refreshing your mind and 
make sure that once you do come back to racing one day, you just aren't going to be rusty. Yeah. So, um, I was, I was getting super, uh, excited about maybe trying to race again. Uh, and the other day I wrote like seven pages, uh, really quick, like out of my mind of all the things I could do. Like, what if I went to a dealership and tried to, um, tried to get a motorcycle? Um, cause there's been other racers that have done this seemingly successfully. Um, so here's my idea and anybody can steal this. Uh, let me know what you think, because I actually want to go door to door with a proposal in my hand and like talk to, uh, dealerships. What if you said, I need a 2022 motorcycle, uh, 600 class is what I'd be looking for, but two bikes, an A and a B bike, completely stock Kawasaki 636. I will take the bikes, strip it down all to all the race or all the stock parts we don't need. We'll return those to you. And that would be what, like $4,000 a bike or so of all the stock parts of bodywork and, you know, the brake pads you don't need and the you know, rubber brake lines and all that stuff. So it may be, say, $4,000 per bike. That's $8,000 right there that is uh, discounted from the bike you just gave me, right? So you can use those parts for, for your showroom sales or part service, you know, if you have repairs for bikes. And then, you know, we since I'm an authorized vendor of 34 motorsports brands, I get parts at, at cost. So um, I get rear sets and sprockets and chains and, and suits and boots and all that stuff. Um, so it would be a discount to me. We'd race with the bikes after, you know, um, putting all the race parts on it, suspension, all that stuff. And then um, after, the, after the end of two years, we would sell the bikes and those bikes with all the race parts is worth more than a stock bike. So we would really owe them uh, $12,000 or so at the end of it. And we would probably make money selling both bikes, you know. So that's a way that we could repay the dealership after two years and it would cost them no money, but they would have to put up front to motorcycles. But at the end of two years, it's no cash for them. Yeah. So growing, growing up in a household, so my dad works for a dealership and um, he's just very real about everything. So in my opinion, so the thing about dealerships is I've learned is that there's really nothing in it for them anymore. They used to like back in nineties, early two thousands when racing was very Suzuki was giving out huge, uh, pretty much contingency. There was probably, you, you could probably get bikes from dealerships, but now there's really nothing anymore. I mean, we can, I can go to, you can be the best rider in the world and go to a random dealership and say, Oh, I'm this and this. And they're like, okay, where's our money? It's uh, it's crazy. I mean, even if you were to do something like that, it's just like they want profit. There's not enough, like there's not enough stock. There's not enough with all the COVID and everything. There's not enough storage and stuff flowing in for them to give up two things that even like with my dad's shop, if they get two new, brand new bikes in, they're already sold. They got a list of 40 people that already have a prepaid money for this bike. So it's kind of like a thing where it's like, if we were to give you two bikes like this, we would be missing out on this other, say, 24 grand that we could be getting from these two other people that are willing to pay, especially in this time. Maybe back then they could yeah. get something out of it. But now because of how all this COVID pricing and all these COVID frenzy, frenzy people, like 
oh, we want a bike. Like we had random people come into this dealership. Oh, I want that FS450. You know, it's not street legal. I don't care. I want it. Yeah. It's like, they just want to spend money. So it's like, it's a great idea for back in nineties, early two thousands, but for how everything is now, which, which sucks, it's, it's like dealerships can't be losing out on it. So there's just a supply and demand issue. It sounds like they don't have enough stock. Yeah. Everything's flown in. Parts are on back order. They're already sold out there. Some companies can't even keep up with production of just producing all this stuff and getting it out on time. There's stuff like we're missing out on parts from that should have been here six months ago where they can't like make the stuff fast enough. It's just, it's crazy because when COVID shut the stuff down for four months, everything shut down. So all that stock that was built up from those four months sold out. So those four months of them not building anything is like they have to pretty much re it's going to take them years upon years upon years. Maybe they can't even catch up with it. Yeah. It's crazy. We were talking about it. It's just like, you're never going to make up for what they lost over those four months. And now, I mean, uh, if you were able to give a, a new business, say 50 customers um, for, for a dealership, that might be worth it for them. But you have to prove that you can actually bring, bring them 50 sales or so, right? Yeah, kind of. It's, it's kind of like that because you have to prove it. But on top of that, like it depends on the dealership. It's just like, like, all right, cool. You just got us 50. It's, they'll kind of take it as like, okay, cool. He's got us 50. And um, that's 50 more people that will spend money for us. That's about it. That's yeah. they'll take it because they're not willing. A lot of dealerships aren't willing to give out huge sponsorships. I mean, luckily I've had a few dealerships that have been amazing to me and given me some great uh, sponsorships and deals. And I'm so grateful for all of them. And luckily I've been able to get my way with them. And um, a lot of dealerships aren't willing to give out sponsorship like that anymore it's crazy um it's it's hard because you're trying to make racing this really expensive sport a little bit cheaper and there's not really many things that you can do anymore to make it cheaper contingency is a little bit but to win contingency you have to spend so much money to make your bike competitive so say i mean i have a class that i win Say, I mean, last year I would win about $1,000 contingency a weekend. So 1,000 times seven, that's $7,000. Right? You just paid for a Ninja 400, which is 47, five, let's just say five grand. So you have two grand extra. Well, you didn't, you're pretty much take two grand out of the cost of a 15 or four, 14 plus thousand dollar uh, parts and building that you put into that bike. All right, cool. You just spent 12 grand on that bike. Yeah, you saved, say you saved seven, but you have to spend another twelve. Yeah. So it's it's just it, it it's a little bit of help, but you're never gonna make anything out of it anymore, which it's unfortunate. I mean, I wish right. I could make a living out of this. I wish I, I wish I could make a living out of this sport, but well, it's really they, hard. Uh, they being Moto America, I wish I had the exact numbers in front of me, but they just increased the the season entry purse for all classes. So if you become like a premier class rider, uh, full season entry, it's like, I think for the super sport class, like $6,500. Uh, 
I think if you complete every practice and qualifying and race session, um, it's like 1250 a, uh, a weekend um, for just doing the event. Um, and it, not even counting a purse if you finish in you know points paying position. So basically, if you enter and finish all the events of the season, they, they pay you like $6,000 um, aside from winnings or contingency money. Yeah, so from what I know, it's we for the junior cup, it was top five get paid from Cali. So, um, fifth if you have a bike within five years, is it two years? Two years, yep. So, that's how they get you. You have to keep on buying it a bike every two years. So, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I think if for a double, I'm, I don't know if they change contingency, but. Uh, Kawasaki would pay if you won both races during the weekend for Junior Cup, you would get five grand, which is awesome. But, yeah. um, I mean, for cost, I mean, it's 1200 for tires. Um, we get eight, so we get two, uh, four sets, so eight tires. Um, 1200 for tires, you get have to pay for gas, you gotta pay for ratio, you gotta pay for everyone looks at the cost of a weekend as in like how much it costs at the track, but no one really looks at like with our gas prices. Yeah, it's for us, it's our camper and trailer, we get what six miles per gallon towing, <laughs> and um, I we have to triple swipe our card to fill up our camper. It's hundred seventy, hundred eighty dollars to fill it up, and then you do that depending on the rounds multiple times. So you don't really look at the. A lot of people don't look at the time and effort that is put into it, where you kind of have to like spend gas money to get there have to pay for food you got to take off the time to get there so you're missing x amount of days of money being paid depending on if your salary maybe not but still but it's just to do the full moto america series is huge i mean i have people i know people that have spent six figures on a junior cup ride to race and that's just that's not covering them getting to the races that's yeah. just their racing so, I mean, if you got the money and you got the backing for it, that's great. That's amazing. Good for you, man. I'm jealous of you. But <laughs> yeah. jealousy is an ugly trait, but I wear it very well when I see that. <laughs> I mean, I'm grateful for everything I've been able to do. And um, hopefully I keep on getting to do it. And maybe down the road, I get a chance in Moto America for a full season. But at this moment in time where I'm at, with how money and everything's going, I won't be able to afford that so maybe maybe one day i can get something going i think it's uh a little bit about finding uh outside industry sponsors like the new one that came on is mission foods um and that's awesome it's like a mexican a tortilla and a chip company and they make all sorts of different wraps um but uh, they have like racing commercials about their their tortillas i'm like this is awesome <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, they're a big supporter of the baggers uh, when they got onto it, and now they're supporting the whole entire, I think, the Superbike class now. Yeah. Um, so I've definitely cool bought some of their things since I've seen that. You know, I didn't know about them before, and now uh, we really do try to support the people who support the sport. Exactly. Um, I actually uh, I can't talk too long today. I got a, a lunch date with a friend. Um, so we just hit our one-hour mark. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, no, I just want to say thank you for this opportunity and uh, just like to thank a few people that have always supported me. I mean, 
I'd like to thank my parents, obviously. And um, huge thanks to, I'll go through the list, but Motor Race, Stowe, all you uh, for helping me with my tires, for sponsoring, sponsoring me from day one with Michelin. And um, I thank, obviously, all my sp sponsors that helped me throughout the last year, few years. Elect Tech, Matt Lilly. We got Penguin Road Racing School. We got Woodcraft. There's Spears Racing, Frego, whole bunch of people. Thank you guys so much for everything. Very good. Well, I'll get this edited and posted, and I'll talk to you real soon, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Peace. Have a good one. See ya.